Blog Talk Radio. Airlines Radio Show Thursday's broadcast of the REPA Radio Hour, brought to you by the Eastern Airlines Radio Show and the Retired Eastern Pilots Association. During this hour, we share stories and memories of the pilots who flew the planes of Pitcairn, Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and Eastern Airlines. My name is Neil Holland, a retired Eastern captain and producer of the show, and we hope you will enjoy these stories we bring to you every Thursday. We'll tell your friends to listen in and hope you will join in the conversation during the broadcast. Now, let's see if we can get the engines running and start our show. Hey, Some hosts that will be with me today, and we have a talk at the end of our 
uh, our reading of stories from Eastern pilots, mostly today of pioneer pilots way back in the 30s and the 40s. And uh, we like to do this on Thursdays, and we do have uh, our hosts that uh, come along with us. And I want to start our show with uh, a little music about remembering things. And uh, I think uh, you've all heard this, but I love to hear the Statler Brothers do this song. Saturday morning, serials, chapters 1 through 15. Fly paper, penny loafers, lucky strike green. Flat tops, sock tops, duty baker, Pepsi please. Ah, oh, do you remember these? Cigar bands on your hand, your daddy's socks roll down. Sticks, no plugs, and aviator caps with flaps that button down. Movie stars on Dixie cup tops and knickers to your knees. Ah, do you remember these? The hip parade, great parade, the Sadie Hawkins dance. Pedal pushers, ducktail hair, and begging your pants. Howdy doody, tooty fruity, the seam up the back of her hose. Ah, do you remember those? James Dean, he was keen, Sunday movies were taboo. Senior prom, Judy's mom, rock and roll was new. Cracker Jack Price, stars in your eyes as daddy for the key. Ah, oh, do you remember these? The boogeyman, lemonade standing, taking your tonsils out. Engine burning, wait your turn, and four foul balls, you're out. Cigarette loads and secret codes and saving lucky stars. Shirts and fender skirts and crinoline petticoats. Mom's a word and a dirty bird and a double root beer float. Moon hug caps and loud heel taps and he's a real gone cat. Oh, you remember that? Dancing close, little Moron jokes and cooties in her hair. Captain Midnight, old Bettine and the whip at the county fair. sending that to me. I think you sent it to me. Did you? No, I don't think I sent you that one, Neil. That was me. Okay, Mike, maybe you did. Mike, did you send it to me? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love that song. That's great. Last time I saw those guys was on the Glenn Campbell Music Hour, way back when. Ah. It was on TV. That's the last uh, time I saw Is there anything that you guys remember that you want to add to what they said? Yeah, well, we remember brother. all of it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Roadhog in the Alter Ego. 
Roadhog and the Cadillac Cowboys. He died about three, four months ago. Roadhog did. Oh, okay. Yeah, the bass bass singer. The bass singer. That's where I got that nickname Roadhog up in ATA. And when I got a computer, he he let that, he said, why don't you be Roadhog? So that's how I ended up being Roadhog 37. Of course, I was born in 37. Okay, very good. Very, very good. uninteresting story. Well, you know, there's some parts of the, some parts of that song might not be politically correct when we talk about jokes, <laughs> and you you know yeah. what it refers to. But uh, yeah, I had to watch it. But uh, anyhow, it's a fun song, and uh, some of those things I think all of us did. Or uh, I didn't try to wear a, a ducktail hat. I mean, a hairstyle. Did they call them ducktails? Remember yeah. a cookie on Route 66? Yeah. That's that's a nice yeah. Cookie. Yeah, well, you put okay, a lot of Dixie Don, Peach about... in your hair. Yeah, that's right. All right, Don, tell us all about it. Go ahead. Well, thank you. And today our stories are going to range from the sounds you just heard and the Statler Brothers, of course. And better stated, from the male wings to the huge Lockheed L-1011 TriStar a.k.a. the Whisper Liner. We like to tell all of our first kind listeners that you can listen in with your smartphone or go to our radio show provider at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash Captain Eddie at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time and just click on the start arrow. Remember, it must be at 3 p.m. or you'll be given the message that the show has not yet begun. Many just call in the show at 213-816-1611. This will put you on a producer's board, and all you have to do to share your comments or join in our discussion is to touch the number one on your smartphone keyboard. That will tell the producer to unmute your phone's microphone. Then just join in the fun. Now you can choose to listen or talk to our host. Now, Captain Mike Scott is up there in Long Island, New York. And, Mike, what have you got for us about last week's review? Sure, Don. Uh, On our last episode, 17, we shared repartee stories about Captain Fred Davis, an air pilot, uh, airmail pilot whose seniority number was number 37 in 1940, on a 1941 seniority list. A Captain Howard Went, among many of his memories, he wrote a book that was called Plowing the Back 40. And as we do at the end of these, uh, these great stories, we open up the microphone for hangar talk for those who are calling in tonight or this afternoon. You know, folks, it's a great way to hear the story of Eastern Airlines of the retired Eastern Pilots Association magazine, Repartee, carried by a favorite category that pilots enjoyed, contributed in red, Nostalgia Corner. It was an idea of editor Captain Rollo Owens, who thought it might be fun to just let the pilots, retired pilots tell their own stories and remembrances and experience of flying with Eastern Airlines. This is where most of the material we use on the show comes from. You can enjoy these stories written by the men and women of Eastern Airlines with us each week. The stories are present present each week are written by the pilots who flew the planes of Pitcairn Aviation, Eastern Air Transport, and Eastern Airlines. 
The stories are printed in Reaper T and other publications. And our co-host, Captain Jim Holder, will start the program. Captain Jim. Okay. Thanks, Captain Mike. Today we share more of the hanging talk of Nostalgia Corner by members of uh, T.O. Clemens, Jack Lambrey, and J.B. Back Armstrong, rather, and Jack Lambrey of the Atlantic Crossing fame. Mr. Producer, can you tell us another great story featured in the category of Nostalgia Corner? I sure can. Let me see if I can get that right here on our on the, uh, board here. And here we go. This is about P.O. Clemens. At the end of each repartee magazine, the last few pages were addressed to the editor. And, of course, the title was Letters to the Editor. One letter was from P.O. Clemens, the station manager of Vero Beach. And it reads... I can still be a pain in the rear when I want to, and that seems to be all the time. Thanks for trying to figure out something for me, as you as you know how much it means to me. I don't want anything in the front row, but just to be able to keep in touch, and I can sell enough coon, possum, roots, and herbs to pay for it. Now, does anyone remember the song that was made up about flying to Accra? The first couple of lines goes like this. It is my intention that if I miss Ascension, there will be no payday at all. Then there was a real nice lady that ran a place in Belém. It was not a USO, but more people visited it than they did the USO, as I believe the lady's name was Madame Zaza, or something like that. To make it more enjoyable, do you remember how the girls would pour perfume out the windows on you if you felt you had not had a good time? The perfume containers were quite unique, and one night, Captain, oh, heck, I can't remember his name right now, but maybe he will speak up. This captain was given the, the treatment, perfume that is. This is the truth. A container was dropped and it broke, but the bottom and handle are intact, and I have it here and will be glad to give it to him if he will claim it. I still have the pictures of the cruise that I promised to your organization, but have not been told what I should do with them. They are the ones that were in the EAL, EAL office uh, here in Vero Beach. Would you like to see some kind of record, mostly pictures, but short, interesting stories put in a book before a reaching point that the truth will never be known. The people in Vero Beach are sure that I taught Captain Rickenbacker how to fly and flew with him in the war and turned down Dick Merrill as we all felt he was too old at the time to learn. True to yours, P.O. <laughs> George, tell us more about P.O. Okay, folks, uh, now for some of you who missed the opportunity of meeting this gentleman, station manager P.O. Clemens, or simply P.O., as we all knew him, missed a legend in his own right at Eastern. He ran the Vero Beach Operations Office for Eastern Airlines. When you got off the airplane and went into ops, the first faces that would greet you were framed pictures of the pilots who flew the, the airmail all displayed on the wall above the operations counter. 
you couldn't help but gaze in awe at these aviation pioneers looking down from their framed faces at you, or so it seemed. Gene Brown, Dick Merrill, J.B. Armstrong, Archie Comer, Johnny Gill, and many more. As you recall, in the story of our producer that our producer read, P.O. did not know what to do with them when Eastern discontinued service to Vero Beach. Our producer remembers these Eastern pioneers when he flew the Convair 440 into Vero. Uh, Mr. Producer, do you know where these pictures are today? No, I, but uh, I can see them in my mind. I can see them so clearly. Uh, when I used to fly trips on the Convair 440 with captains like J.B. McBride, and we all remember J.B. McBride, right, uh, Jim Holder? You remember oh, him well. Yeah. You probably flew Earthquake with him. Earthquake McBride, yeah. <laughs> Earthquake <laughs> McBride, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a story at Duro Beach that I'd like to share. I, maybe I've done it in the last 10 years. We've been on the air almost. But uh, at any rate, uh, it was fun to – and every time I – used to have a trip. I think I flew it for the whole year from Washington, where I was based, down to Miami, making I don't know how many stops, at least a dozen or more. And um, that was fun flying when you made all those landings and never complained. And uh, that one stop in Vero, it was always amazing to go uh, go inside. And that hangar where the operations was and, and the terminal was wood, made of wood. And it was built during World War II or military operations out of Vero Beach. And uh, the plumbing was uh, military-issue plumbing, and uh, I can see it so clearly in my mind's eye. But it was always fun to make that stop and see those gentlemen there. But I sure wish, uh, George, that I knew where those pictures uh, went. But uh, at any rate, that's another story. Don, what you got? Uh, Now we'd like to hear... Uh, some stories like the memories of Captain J.B. Armstrong. He flew the Curtis Kingbirds and the Condors, telling about the checkouts and the DC-3s, etc. Mr. Producer, have you got that clip for us? And here's one final Nostalgia Corner letter that was sent in, printed in the 1979 issue of Repartee. It's by J.B. Armstrong. In the early 1930s, Captain Doe was president of Eastern Air Transport and Harold Elliott was superintendent of operations. He was based in Rockefeller Plaza in New York. Lowell Harding was based in Richmond. He hired Mr. Sid Shannon. He also hired me and brought him down from Washington to become the assistant station manager at Richmond. The reason Eastern Air Transport started its airline on August 18, 1930, was to beat the Ludington Airline, which was to start its inaugural flight on September 1, 1930. Ludington was supposed to have flights every hour on the hour between Washington and New York airports, uh, Newark airports, beginning at 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. In order to gain a publicity advantage, we decided to send the Ford uh, Trimotor, which we bought in Detroit. We sent Furman Stone to Dearborn, Michigan, where he was checked out. 
When he returned, he then checked out Dick Merrill, Pete Parker, and several other captains. They flew the fort around Florida and Georgia with passengers with the name Eastern Air Transport and the airmail route written on the aircraft. The number of the ship was 9608, and I suppose it's somewhere in a museum now. Mr. Elliott sent five of us up to New York City with the Ford to start the airline on August 30th. The first flight was flown out of North Beach Airport, which is now the site of LaGuardia Field, which was also a seaplane ramp. Harry Rogers was an old boat pilot with who flew seaplanes out of North Beach and, and also out of uh, Miami, Florida in the winter. Now, our flight originated at 7 o'clock in the morning with the passengers arriving by speedboat around the East River through Hell's Gate, as we call it, to the seaplane ramp and boarded from there 11 passengers in all for the 12 seats we had. The 12th seat was taken up by spare tailwheel, which we had to change constantly after a number of landings. The first passenger to buy a ticket from EAT was Mr. Bernard Gimble of Gimble's Department Store. He also somehow managed to be the 25th millionth of the 50 millionth and the 50 millionth passenger of Eastern Airlines. I had the opportunity to fly him on both these latter milestones, the 50 millionth also with Captain Eddie, opportunity to fly with Pete Parker, was the other pilot with me on the first flight from North Beach Airport. We flew to the Newark Airport without fanfare, although some photographers met us, I think, for the Newark Star Ledger. We took off from Newark, flew over Hadley Field, New Brunswick, which was the principal airport for New York City at the time. Now, all the mail from the all points to New York City came to Hadley Field. We continued down over Trenton in a straight line over the railroad tracks, cruising along in a 40-mile-per-hour headwind. People in the trains and cars waved goodbye to us as we flew along. We landed at Camden, New Jersey, which was the only airport for, the, for Philadelphia, where we saw Tommy Holcraft with station manager Sterling Smith. Leaving there, we flew on down to Sparrow Point, Maryland, location at that time for all grass field for Baltimore. Uh, it was an all grass field at Baltimore. We continued to Washington, D.C., which had a terminal building about as big as one of our gas stations today. Captain Vern Smith had his Goodyear blimp tied up on Hoover Field, and we could tell which way the wind was blowing by the blimp position. Several people met us at Washington, plus two or three newspapers, including the Washington Post. Leaving there, we continued the flight to Richmond, where we turned around for the return to New York City, arriving ahead of schedule at North Beach because we had a 40-mile-per-hour tailwind northbound. Rickenbacker, in his book, said passenger flights started around 1932 in Kingbirds between Washington and Newark. 
But Captain Eddy came to Eastern in 1933 and apparently was given incorrect information about those early flights. After that first flight, they bought some old-type Condors and hired more pilots, and among them Gilbert Holland, Bob Chu, Chan Chandler, Bob Duck, Duckworth, Johnny Gill, Paul Foster, Frank Kern, Shelley, and Paul Charles. They also hired, hired six stewardesses to fly with the passengers, one of whom became my bride. In those early days, I flew with all these boys, Dick Merrill, Johnny Gill, Paul Foster. Early in the game, I had the good fortune to fly with the father of instrument flying, Howard Stark, who taught me a great deal about instrument and weather flying, all of which was rather new in those days. Later, as newly hired captains came on the line, I flew co-pilot with them. As, as co-pilot, I was making about $195 per month, while these captains made more money, even though they weren't, in some cases, too familiar with weather flying. Foster reminded me of this following incident a year or two ago. He said he came out to fly the trimotor Ford, which he hadn't been checked out in. Asking Sid Shannon about getting checked out, Sid told him, Well, you ain't got nothing to worry about. Johnny Armstrong is going to be with you. He's flown it. He'll make your first landing for you. So we flew it on down to Camden. Paul says I was a little tired and upset. And as we approached Camden, he said to me, Hey, Johnny, how about showing me how to land this airplane? I honestly don't remember my answer, but Paul says, I said it, I said it, I answered, well, by God, you're making all the money while I sit over here making nothing. You, you land the damn thing yourself. Paul, being a superb pilot, landed beautifully, just like everything else he did for Eastern Airlines, was superb during his career. Well, Gene, you asked me for a story about the early days for the Nostalgia Corner, and what I've told you here is what it was like in those early days. As co-pilots, we didn't make much money, but we all loved our work. I think the greatest thing about those early days was working for Sid Shannon and helping him to help the airline grow up. His great love for pilots was always obvious, but sometimes he would bluster an answer to you and and, and stick and stick to it whether it was right or wrong he used to pay $210 per month to the pilots based in New York City but only $195 per month to the pilots based in Washington I was in Washington so one day I sauntered up to him and said it costs as much to live in Washington as it does in New York City Okay, he replied, I'll fix it up for you. You know what he, you know what he did. He cut the boys in Newark down to $195 per month. That's what he did. I don't think the New York boys, John Halliburton, Johnny Battle, Dick Dice and Eddie Barber ever knew who did it to them. <laughs> Well, you know, when Armstrong said um, the, 
Uh, maybe he's the one that started that expression. We don't have much fun, but we have a piss poor time. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> at any rate, it's become one of my standards now on the show. But uh, yeah, guys like J.B. Armstrong, uh, he was very sound. I think he was in the top ten seniority. And uh, remarkable, those guys flying back then, coming out of the cockpit of a male wing and getting into a big old Condor, uh, Kingbird or the Condor, uh, Curtis airplanes. But uh, that's the way it was back then. George, what else you got for us? Okay, Neil, our next Nostalgia Corner contributor is Jack Lambie. Who could forget how Dick Merrill and Jack made the coronation flight across the Atlantic in the first commercial flight by an airline. Dick and Jack both received 2500 bucks for their roles in the movie that was made about this flight. Dick had not taken the, films, the filming seriously, but of course he gladly accepted the windfall bucks when they came. Merrill made two more transatlantic flights, the last of these on May 14, 1937, which set the new record at 24 hours and 25 seconds coast to coast. Mr. Producer, do you have that clip ready? Yeah, it'll be our last one, and then we get into a round of discussion. If you guys don't mind, stick around. Here we go. Let's listen to a story by Jack Lambie. In that same issue of Repartee 1974, a letter was received from Jack Lambie. It reads, Dear Lee Hines, Please pardon my tardiness in replying to your letter of October 8th. I'm sorry to learn that your physical condition has required four hospitalizations in the past year and may result in retirement from the company for medical reasons. You mention your shock at having your career terminated so suddenly and unexpectedly. Stop feeling sorry for yourself, as there are very many in, many in the same boat with you in our association, including myself. It may help your morale a bit if I can pass along a few thoughts given to me by a friend, who is a priest, that called on me in the hospital when I was bemoaning the early end of my flying career. They went like this. Don't give a thought about yesterday. There is nothing you can do to change any part of it. Don't be concerned or worry about tomorrow. Events will shape it that are mostly beyond your control. Did anyone plan for their sons or themselves to be shot down on the beaches of Normandy? Not being concerned about yesterday or tomorrow leaves us today. Make the very most you can out of this very minute out of this day. Savor it and enjoy it. Each new morning, give thanks to the Almighty for another dawn you have been spared to witness. Enjoy the beauty of the high blue sky and the clouds that float across it. Enjoy each note of birdsong you hear and all the beauties of nature. Enjoy your family and friends. This minute, this day is yours. Wishing the best of everything to you and yours. Sincerely, Jack Lambie. What a beautiful letter. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, uh, this, uh, I think, George, you sent me this, uh, and it's a good time to 
to read it. It's just a couple of paragraphs, but I thought it would be good to read right after we just talked about what the letter that Jack Lambie had sent to Lee Hines. I didn't know Jack Lambie, but I knew Lee Hines. Flew with him many times. The title of this is Because We Flew, Because We Flew. Once the wings go on, they never come off, whether they can be seen or not. It fuses to the soul through adversity, fear, adrenaline, and no one knows, no one who has ever worn them with pride, integrity, and guts can ever sleep through the call of the wild that wafts through the bedroom windows in the deep of the night. When a good flyer leaves the job and retires, many more or many are jealous. Some are pleased, and yet others who may have already retired wonder. We wonder if he knows what he is leaving behind, because we already know. We know, for example, that after a lifetime of camaraderie that a few experience, it will remain as a longing for those past times. We know in the world of flying, there is a fellowship which lasts long after the flight. Suits are hung up in the back of the closet. We know even if he throws them away, they will be on him. Wings, that is, with every step and breath that remains in his life. We also know the very bearing of the man speaks of what he was and in his heart still is. Because we flew, we envy no man on earth. The author is anonymous of that writing. Thanks for sending it, George. That's all right, Neil. I have another one I'd like to read that was written by Mark Twain. And, of course, it's prior to uh, men taking to the sky, but it pertains to uh, people who piloted riverboats. And Twain wrote, The Rank and Dignity of Piloting. If I have seemed to love my subject, it's no surprising thing, for I love the profession far better than any I've followed since, and I took a measureless pride in it. The reason is plain. A pilot in those days was the only unfettered and entirely independent human being that lived the earth. In truth, every man and woman and child has a master and worries and frets and servitude. But in the day I write of, the Mississippi pilot had none. His movements were entirely free. He consulted no one. He received commands from nobody. He promptly resented even the merest suggestions. Indeed, the law of the United States forbade him to listen to commands or suggestions, rightly considering that the pilot necessarily knew better how to handle the boat than anybody could tell him. I think pilots were about the only people I ever knew who failed to show in some degree embarrassment in the presence of traveling princes. But then people in one's own grade of life are not usually embarrassing objects. By long habit, pilots came to put all their wishes in the form of commands. It gravels me to this day to put my will in the weak shape of a request instead of launching it in the crisp language of an order. And that was written by Mark Twain, uh, pertaining to riverboat pilots, and it was excerpted, excerpted from the life on the Mississippi. But as we all know on the show, that could also apply to airplane pilots. Back to you, Neil. 
Well, you know, George uh, and uh, other hosts we have, uh, Mike and, and Jim Holder and Don and Dorothy, uh, flying back in our day and in the days of those pilots that we read uh, stories about, uh, male wing pilots primarily, the feeling that we had, that I have, that I know you guys have that have flown commercially, the pride that you had in listening and 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 thoughts like we just read uh, uh, ring true with me, and I'm sure it does with you guys. But I wonder if the pilot flying today in these airplanes that they fly, the automatic ones, that is, I wonder if they have the same pride of flying that the pilots of our day have. Your thoughts? I wouldn't think so. <clears throat> I wouldn't think so at all. I don't either. I think it's a whole new ball game now. People seem to have a well, different type of atmosphere than they did in years back. Uh, they don't seem as empathetic. They um, just go about, take their job for granted, and they don't give it much thought. They do what they have to do, and they're not overly concerned, I don't think, in whatever they do. Very good, Dorothy. Yeah. Uh, it's, any uh, other thoughts about that? generational i mean it's uh they they have their own little world that they live in they grew up with with that stuff as we grew up with our stuff and our dads or older pilots grew up with uh what they they had to dance to the music uh whatever it was and the uh the new guys are uh they got a different routine they're, they're button pushers and uh, the old days as i call it the days of yank and bank uh, where we came from, it, it's now it's called pick and poke. So what you do is you stick, take your left index finger, put it in your nostril, and then your right index finger, and you push buttons, and you watch the airplane fly and say, "What what's it going to do next?" <laughs> That's good. <laughs> well, Neil, hey, you know, I, 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 I don't know where you get them. <laughs> one quick thought here, George, before you give yours. I, I'll, I'll forget it as soon as I leave. No, it. My, they even took the, they even took away the yoke between your legs. <laughs> yeah, Airbus, Airbus did that. But, Airbus. You know, I mean, yeah. I, when when my career ended. Uh, it was just during the transition period. And as you know, I, I didn't finish out my career at Eastern. I had gone to yeah. uh, U.S. Air, which was later called U.S. Airways, and now is American Airlines. And um, just when I was leaving mm. is when management came out with this great platitude that, well, everything is turning automatic now. So when you get to 300 feet, uh, just turn on the autopilot and let the autopilot fly the rest of your trip. And, you know, yeah. I was flying the uh, 737-400 at the time, and, you know, you could actually pre-program that airplane. Once you're at 300 feet, if you put the autopilot on, it did everything, and even landed at your destination, whether it was VFR or IFR, it yeah. didn't matter. Yeah. And, I mean, I, ne yeah. I never gave a landing to the autopilot, but – yeah, I mean that that that's that was the dawn of this new this new automated age, and I think I sent yeah, out a uh, yeah. an email the other day where I I could actually see it going to uh, next to single pilot airline, you know, where you're going to have <laughs> one guy or one woman 
in the cockpit, and that's going to be it, you know. You know, George, it reminds so me of this. Go ahead. The, I'm day, sorry. the days, the days of automation. Uh, I mean, uh, I remember my dad when he was uh, used to come back when he was flying the DC threes with Eastern, and of course they had that hatch over the over the the escape hatch over the cockpit uh, uh, in the front there, and yeah. when it, when they threw through the heavy rain, uh, the seals on those uh, on those hatches used to leak. So they used to, they used to always fly with their uh, in the bad weather with their hat on with their with their headset hanging over the top of it, and that's where they had yeah. that fifty mission crush from. But mm-hmm, I can always yeah. remember my dad coming home and. Uh, and talking about flying through, uh, trying to get around squall lines and all this stuff, and how rough it was, and he take that old. He had a big ten penny nail that he used to have hanging in the uh, or, or nailed by the basement stairs, and he used to hang that wet hat on it, and it stayed there till his next flight, because that's where all the heat came up from the basement. It dried his hat off. Dried off. So he was yeah. a real stick and rudder guy, but. He never liked any of the automated uh, stuff at all, like like I didn't either. When uh, we had a chance to use, uh, you know, the 72, of course, it had the old Sperry 50 autopilot system in it. And I, I can truthfully say, out of my whole career, I never, ever did an instrument approach with the autopilot. I always did. I always yeah. hand flew them. And like you guys probably did every once in a while, you'd connect up the autopilot on a VFR day just to see what it looks like, to, to see what the airplane's doing with the wind and all that. And sometimes it looks a little scary. <laughs> so <laughs> that's one of the reasons I never yeah. used it. Well, you know, I, before, anyway. coming, well before coming to Eastern, I flew a C-46, which if you're familiar with it, is looks like a DC-3, but it's about three times the size. And uh, we flew yeah. auto parts around the country all night long. And there was no, there were no autopilots on the aircraft, but when I got to Eastern, uh, which was my next job after that, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Eastern wanted you to use the autopilot when you're up at altitude. I, I thought I died and went to heaven. You know, you didn't, you could just throw the <laughs> autopilot on at altitude, and, and I'm sure Neil and Jim remember this, and you always <laughs> flew at altitude with the autopilot on. Yeah. Yeah. Except, except yeah. if you flew with Joe Vance. <laughs> I, I didn't flew know him, Neil. Uh, except if you didn't fly, if you flew with Joe Vance, and I had the oh, yeah, opportunity Vance. of paying yeah. him back. Yeah, Joe, Joe would not yeah. let you. At 37,000 feet, he wanted you to hand fly that airplane from Omaha to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> I only flew short hauls with him. It just worked out that way, like down to Mobile or over to Charlotte. I never flew yeah. after the West Coast with him. So, but I've heard that, yeah. yeah. Neil, did you get extra pay for that or what? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I paid him back because uh, about seven years later, I was flying a trip, uh, and uh, on 727, six years later, I think it was, he had retired. And I saw him in operations. He was on my flight. We were going to San Antonio, <laughs> Texas. And uh, he and his wife, uh, Jim, you told me his wife's name, Ann, I think it is. Yeah, his I wife's am. name was. And uh, they were sitting in first class, pass riding, uh, and had uh, uh, they were up there in the front. I uh, told the flight attendant go back and ask the the gentleman sitting in whatever seat he was in. I said to have him come on up to the cockpit. 
and if he wanted to. And so, of course, he wanted to. And and this is before we took off, and uh, he came up to the cockpit, and I said, Joe, you want to fly with me to San Antonio up here? He said, yeah, I've been retired for six, seven years now. And he said, yeah, I'd love to. So when I when we took off, I got out of the traffic pattern in Atlanta, headed for San Antonio. I said, now it's your time to fly. We filed for flight plan at 35000 or whatever it was. It was in the 30s. And I said, there's one condition, Joe. You will not use the autopilot. So <laughs> he, he sat in, he my, in my seat. I got up and, yeah, he sat in my seat. And, Jim, he flew that airplane six years out. He had not been in an airplane at 30-whatever uh-huh. thousand feet it was. Put his feet uh-huh. up on the uh, pedestal there, you know, where the pilots put their feet. Uh-huh. And pushed his chair back, flying that airplane without an autopilot, and uh, said, "Tell the flight attendant I want my coffee now." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he flew all the way to San Antonio. And he says, "Now you don't want me to go ahead and land, do you?" I said, "No, I'll take over from here." <laughs> well, you know, it's like the old expression: "It's like riding a bicycle; you never forget." You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some days, yeah. But Unless you know, it's North a bicycle with no chain on it. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, uh, Dorothy, about the musical shows that we have and putting these things together and the dance bands that we listen to. Yeah. We we did swing. We did all sorts of different dances. We used to hold the lady, and the lady held a man or was in the man's arm. But at yeah. one point, all of a sudden, that stopped, and we got away from each other. We danced separately, doing all sorts of animal motions on the dance floor and we call that dancing and i was going to introduce that in our next show somehow i was going to talk about that but it kind of reminds me of flying we do the same thing we used to hold on to the airplane and one captain said i i fly the airplane like i i wear a glove i'm wearing this airplane like a glove we were so close to the airplane but, but you now, know, no matter at some how point, many, we separated. But you know, no matter how many times they say they want to have people, uh, just one person on the aircraft, uh, it it doesn't make sense only because people nowadays don't have the same healthy, good habits that they had before, and there's many, many people that have all kinds of lung issues and heart issues, that how do they expect a, a pilot to be by himself on a plane and have any kind of issue, who's going to take over? I mean, you see it happen when you watch TV and you see some some uh, flight that's on television and all of a sudden something happens to the pilot and nobody knows how to <laughs> fly the plane so i mean we got a show about that dorothy coming up (laughs) good i mean that's that's a good thing that's what we need and i think george wants more than two pilots in the airplane now (laughs) george you'd like to what back to the old days well i i think that you know to have three is probably the safest and you know because if you think about it neil Whenever anything goes wrong on the airplane, there's always a backup system for everything. Right. Except, yeah. except when something goes wrong, there's no backup system for the most important system in the plane, the pilot flying, because the pilot. when it's yeah. a two-man crew, a two-person crew, 
the other pilot is trying to fix whatever it is that was broken, and nobody's watching the guy who's flying. That's why I think yeah. three is probably the proper number. But, you know, if you, if, you, if you run it out on the price of a ticket, it comes out to like, I don't know, two and a half bucks extra per ticket to have the third person on there. But, you know, today everybody, all they seem to care about is the price of a ticket, and that's all that matters. So you get what yeah. you pay for. Yep. <clears throat> Well, in the in the years to come, you won't be buying an airline ticket anymore. You'll just be buying a chance instead. <laughs> you know, those guys that were flying the uh, mail wings and so forth years and years ago, they must have had arms yeah. like eggplants. A lot of muscle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. it. And, yeah. and then, like Leslie, like Leslie Nielsen said, don't call me Shirley. Well, it's been it's been fun, guys. It really has. Anything else new or anything exciting going on in your life? Anybody home? Well, I, got a, I got a. I got a little bit of an update Go on ahead. Reaper, if you want it. Uh, Please, I'm watching the Reaper board was passed uh, unanimously, as I recall, uh, to put out a ballot on the continuation of Reaper past the end of the year into next year, which would be the 50th anniversary, the golden anniversary for Reaper. And Jerry mm-hmm. and I and our wives spent. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we spent uh, two days preparing the ballot, which will be going out to all the regular members. Uh, George, you'll get one, of course, and Neil, not the affiliate members or anybody else. So, yeah. To yeah. indicate your desire for whatever you want to do about uh, continuing Reaper beyond 2021. And uh, we were going to mail it. Right now, the mailing date is sort of confused, I think, but... Uh, Probably it will be the end of the next week or so. The ballot's ready to go. It's been sitting ready to go for two weeks. So you can be alert and ready for that. And I've shown all you guys, got your repartee newsletter that I prepared, and there was five articles in there, a page each, on the, the pluses and the, those for four or against and uh, on the going past 2021. And that's about all when I got. When did you send that out, when did when huh? did you send that out? What the newsletter? When? Yeah. Yeah, the newsletter. It it what happened was it it we put it to the took it to the post office, gave it to them, and I can't remember the exact date, but two weeks ago maybe, and we mm. thought they me and me and Gary had had them all put in. You know what is it? Uh, Seven hundred, eight hundred, and sorted by zip code. And mm-hmm. for some reason, and we don't understand why, they did not do anything. They sat there for six days. And so, therefore, we had to go get them, bring them back, and reissue them, and I'm going to redo this whole damn thing, and we sent them out. And that's why they were late coming out. The you read part they knew. I haven't, gotten, I haven't gotten mine yet. I haven't gotten we mine. I got yet. mine today. Yeah, yeah, I got mine today did. also. Yeah. If anybody okay, well, wants, I've got box. some extra copies. If anybody doesn't get it in the next three or four days, okay, uh, I'll be glad to send you a copy. 
Just let me know. Okay. But give it another two or three days on the newsletter. Yeah. Now, well, when I the ballots the come out, yet, so. yeah. Okay. It may be there. Yeah. So it was a screw up by the post office, uh, contrary to what some people think. It wasn't me and Jerry doing anything. It was just yeah. a post office <laughs> screw up. Uh, they don't pay me enough for all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure they're having near share of uh, Matter of fact, they don't pay me anything. <laughs> well, Neil, Neil makes you a don't lot get of a money W-2? doing the uh, radio show every week, right, Neil? <laughs> I do what? So you don't, With the radio? I, I'd say you make a lot of money for doing the radio show every yeah. week, right? Yeah. Uh, hey, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm paid handsomely. <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> Funny, huh? coming up here. Okay, um, our next program is going to be uh, July 27th, and it's the dance music of the bands in the 60s. Oh, good. Yeah, that's going to be a good one, and uh, we're waiting to hear what Neil chooses for us, and the following will be history of a cruise schedule, and followed then by the dance bands of the 70s. But we'll follow with another history program, and it will be the retirement over the history of commercial aviation. So I'm anxious to hear that one myself. Um, But we have several good programs coming up. They're all good, actually. Um, And all of the information is on the website and also in the e-blast that we send out every week. Actually, I forgot to get the blast. <laughs> I got so busy yesterday, so I'll get that out today later on. But that's it. Back to you, Neil. Well, uh, one of our hosts, our Monday host, is uh, Colleen DeFelice, and Colleen uh, is uh, in a community theater, I think, in the area of Wesley Chapel that she lives in over on the west coast of Florida. And uh, she is really good, and they are having a a reading of a play that uh, she and I think another person is uh, participating in it. She got the information to me, or at least I got it a little bit late. I wish I had gotten it earlier because I think it would be good to listen in on that. I'm going to plan on doing it. It costs $10 uh, to offset some uh, production costs, I'm sure. And so uh, I'd like to hear what she does uh, off the radio show and uh, hoping it, I don't think it'd be a conflict of interest, <laughs> but at any rate, uh, I, I, I'm going to have a report of that show. If I can remember tomorrow at eight o'clock to uh, tune in and uh, listen to that program on the internet. And uh, I don't know whether it's going to be visual or just the reading that I'm able to hear, I think but it's uh, going to be a reading. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that if she does it in the future that we can get that information out to everyone and and um uh, and do that. Well, so you have at any rate, one that I wanna... follows uh, July thirty first. Okay. Well we'll see if we can get some information on that and put it on our website and and uh, also mention it on the air. I think it'd be good right. to support her and her group. Yeah, I can do that. It's no problem. Okay. Very good. 
All right. Hey, Neil, well, uh, maybe nothing find more. out what happened. Yeah, to, yeah, George. What happened to Chuck? Well, Chuck, uh, well, uh, we'll find out what being is in front of his car looks like a bulldog now, I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, George, what I'm you sure got? He's not a happy camper. Uh, well, Neil, George? you know, uh, there actually ha- had a couple of things. Uh, one of them I thought you might want to consider for a, a show, and that is, you know, six months ago they were predicting a 10,000 pilot shortage, airline pilot shortage here in America, and now there's a 10,000 airline pilot surplus. And, we you know, had a show, show on that, what, George. Pardon we me? We did have a show on that. No, yeah. no, but I, I think I, we I know, had a show. No, I, yeah, no, I understand that, but I mean, uh, if if we could contact some of these people to find out what I thought would be interesting was what line they might be interested or, or thinking about going into uh, based upon the surplus that exists now. I thought that might be that an be interesting great. Yeah, show. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, uh, it might be a little bit difficult to find these guys to come on the air and talk about that, but um, it would be interesting to find out what well, kind of what career they're going it's, into. It's, I, know, I, know, I know my, uh, my daughter-in-law. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I know my daughter-in-law got a job with... Uh, Sky West, and she had just gotten it when this coronavirus broke out. And on top of that, her mother was dying, and she's from Finland. She's from the Nokia family. And uh, so she flew back, and my son is in San Francisco where they live. And uh, she flew back to be with her mother. And then they started laying off all these people. Well, here she only has about three months seniority, which is none. And... um, and wondering if she had a job, and I talked to her the other day. She's uh, in Salt Lake City taking some additional training now. Her mother passed away, and she came home, and um, but she still doesn't know uh, the security that she has. But she does have a good backup in that she has. Uh, she's a veterinarian doctor. She has her veterinarian doctor's degree, and uh, she's been in that veterinarian for three years before she went back to uh, wanting to fly. And so uh, uh, she's got something to fall back on if she wants to do that. But she loves flying, and anybody like when you pin when you pin those wings on, they're on forever, like what we read because we flew. And uh, so anyhow, that's the story. Don, well, here's the music. You, you, oh, you know, oh, excuse me. Go ahead. I didn't. Know, I thought you were through. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just listening to you, Neil. Um, but. You know, the thing, perhaps if you contacted Shea Oakley, he, he might be able to update, update you know, what some of these folks are doing. Because I see yeah, that's a good uh, idea. Tweet, tweets from him almost yeah. every day, you know. Are you volunteering I do too. to do that, George? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, don't, I don't have a contact number. I don't have a contact number for him. But I believe that Neil does. I do. I do. I hadn't even thought of uh, uh, Shea. Uh, that's a good idea. Very good idea. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Hello. Yeah, uh, okay. I'm gonna do that. So thank you very much for the tip, and that would be a good show. That would be very interesting to find out these guys that, uh, uh, that are being laid off or may eventually be laid off because it's. Yeah, I, I don't happen. know. I don't know if you are you on Twitter, Neil? Because Shay. 
usually no, puts up no, some. No, I'm not on air, Well, he usually puts up airline nostalgia just about every day, and it's pretty interesting, very interesting. Okay, very good. I, I see his, uh, his Facebook entries, and uh, I keep him in the loop as far as our shows are concerned. So uh, he and Carlene out on the West Coast, and uh, they also – you know, get uh, the information about the radio shows and what topics we're talking about. And, and, um, and uh, so I like to keep those. You, well, you see the mail list that I put out. So they're yeah. all on it. Yeah. But at any rate, okay, Great. time's up. Mm. <laughs> Mike, you got one sentence left. Go ahead. Well, no, uh, you, you were mentioning names. Uh, the the one that I get copied from uh, George on is from that uh, was it Christine Negroni? Is that her name? She does all of the updates yeah. on what's yes. going on. Yeah. Have, she's been on the show, I think, right? Yes, she yeah, has. she has. Very good. All right. Well, see you guys next Thursday. If you want to be on, let me know, and uh, see you Monday. All right, Sounds Neil. Good. Thank you. We'll, we'll be in the jet hey, way. Okay. All right. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Great. Don, it's all yours. Okay. Thank you. I hear our sign-off music playing in the background. So we'll see you again next week, same time, when we continue our trip through the pages of Repartee, the magazine of the Retired Eastern Pilots Association. And remember, the EAL radio show this Monday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, when we bring you Eastern music and history, all in the same show. And, by the way, if you haven't visited our website, www.ealradioshow.com, you'll find many more great Eastern stories and memories. It's time to say so long, Eastern, and so long to our Eastern family. We love you, Eastern. We love you, Eastern. We love you, Eastern. Okay, good Thanks, afternoon. Guys. Love you, Eastern. Good show, guys. Shining in the sunlight, roaring engines, headed somewhere in flight. They're taking you away, leaving me lonely. Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight Silver wings Shining in the sunlight Roaring engines Headed somewhere in flight They're taking you away And leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight